Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm not going to read that passage now because it's a little bit lengthy, but I encourage you to pause this and to take a minute to read that before you listen on. We're in a series focusing on the theme of taking up our role in the mission of God. God is a missionary God, and he includes us in his mission. Our passage this morning was written to a group of early Christians who are struggling with this question. How do we take up our role in the mission of God? And so Peter is wanting to help form this community to be God's missionary people who are, on one hand, radically distinct from the world, but on the other hand, totally engaged with the world for its good. We see that tension right at the very beginning of our passage. Beloved, Peter writes, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions, passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. See, there's the distinct part. Then he writes, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, so there's a call to be engaged. It's, it's this call to holy, humble love. On one hand, we're to be different from the world during this time of exile, but also to be with the world and, and for the world for its good. This is how Peter wants to form this early community for its mission. You know, we often talk about mission as if it's an occasional activity that the church does, usually in faraway places. Or we talk about it like it's something that only some Christians are called to do um, all the time, the professional missionaries. And others of us get to do it some of the time when we go on mission trips. And otherwise, we live our lives as if they're more or less uh, disconnected from the purposes of God. You know, sure, there's Sunday morning worship and God is supposed to be involved in that. And sure, maybe I've got a Bible study that I'm involved in. I guess God is, is involved somehow in that. But what about the 95% of my life that I live outside of church services and programs? See, what Peter is showing us is that mission is for the everyday life of every believer. Rather than seeing mission as an occasional activity, Peter wants us to embrace it as an everyday identity. We are God's missionary people. We are a people whose life together in all kinds of ways is meant to display and demonstrate and point to the good news about Jesus and the hope he brings to the world. And you see, <clears throat> our first instinct might be to think, all right, if it's true that I'm a missionary, then I better completely rearrange my life so that it looks more like the life of a missionary. I better add more evangelistic events and schedule more time for Bible studies and churchy stuff. But no, look, here's what I want to highlight in the passage before us this morning. The mission that God is calling us to is not something that happens primarily through events. The main thing isn't putting on a great Sunday morning worship service or successfully pulling off a high impact service project or just cramming our life full of more and more churchy stuff. Peter envisions mission happening primarily not in the meetings of the church, but in our neighborhoods and workplaces and homes. In other words, the main way God is reaching the world through the church is through believers living good lives in the context of mundane, ordinary, everyday life. And so we might approach this passage before us as a kind of mission manual, helping us to think about um, mission in everyday life. Let's look at the three contexts for mission that Peter highlights before us. First, there's our public life. Peter addresses this 
in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Remember, these early Christians were minorities in a pagan, often oppressive Roman state. The emperor was not a Christian. He was a persecutor of Christians. And so, of course, there was a temptation for Christians to oppose the government and to complain about it and to malign the Roman leaders. Maybe there was a temptation for them to pull back and to disengage from public life. But Peter wants to equip these early Christians and us to be a people who can show the broader society the hope of the gospel. And so he's basically urging the early Christians to be the best citizens in the land. He says, do good and honor everyone, even the emperor. I mean, he's probably talking about Nero here, not exactly a champion of the Christian cause. Honor him, Peter says. See, he's urging Christians to respect public officials even when we deeply disagree with them. My guess is, regardless of your political persuasion, you've had occasion over the past few years to deeply disagree with a public official or two. But have we honored them? Have we respected them? See, it's like Peter wants the, the church to see that when we do this, it helps to give the gospel credibility. Because our hope isn't ultimately in our public officials, we're free to honor and respect them, even when we feel like they're making really bad decisions. What if in our public interactions and in the way we talked about our leaders and submitted to their authority, it was clear that we really honored and respected everyone? See, Peter is calling Christians to do good and to honor everyone in our public lives. Imagine if Christians were the best citizens in Richmond. What if we were the ones doing the most for the public good? What if we were working the hardest to make Metro Richmond like a wonderful, beautiful place for everyone to live? Think about your neighborhood. You know, all of us have neighbors who don't know the hope of the gospel, and they might disagree with us about any number of our religious convictions, but the call is for us to live publicly in ways that make us indispensable to the good of our neighborhoods. The call is to live in such a way that our neighbors, even if they totally reject our faith, want us to stay in the neighborhood because we make it a better place. Remember, the early church had no church buildings, no programs for evangelism, no youth groups, no outreach events, and yet they transformed the Roman Empire. How? By living ordinary lives with a deep commitment to holy, humble love. In their public relationships, they honored everyone, and they did all kinds of good. They were the best citizens. What about our public life? See, are we engaged in contributing to the common good of our communities? Would our neighbors miss us if we moved? Do we talk about public officials with respect even if we disagree with them? Are we known for our kindness and humility and generosity among those who don't believe in Jesus? See, these, these are all missional questions for the church to ask. Well, next, Peter addresses our work lives, and this begins in verse 18. Peter is talking about servants here. In Peter's time, this was a form of slavery. I want to be clear, slavery is always a bad thing. It's always an evil thing, I think. Remember, though, that this slavery in Peter's day had very little in common with the chattel slavery of the United States. It wasn't race-based. It wasn't permanent. Um, these were bond servants who had, in some cases, chosen to enter into their service to work off a debt. They were often very well educated. They could be doctors, teachers, accountants, ship captains. And so in Peter's day, this was like the working class 
um, still evil, <laughs> but not a horrendous evil that, that we are familiar with in, with our chattel slavery. When they became Christians, they had to figure out how do we go about our work in ways that bear witness to the hope of the gospel? How do we live as Christians in work environments that are often hostile to our faith? How do we work for bosses who might be jerks, who might be unjust? How do you live as a Christian in a work environment that you don't really like, with a boss that you don't really like? Well, it's a good thing that none of you struggle with this. You all love your jobs. You love your bosses. Well, Peter writes to these early workers, and his missionary strategy for them in their work life is the same as it was in their public life. Be engaged. Pursue a life of holy and humble love. He urges them to honor the boss even when the boss is a jerk. He tells these workers to do good, to suffer injustice with humility and grace. And so look, I think if Peter were writing to us, the word would be similar. Some of you are in hostile work environments where people are mean and immoral. Maybe your job is just boring and you feel like it's kind of meaningless. And and surely there are all kinds of situations in which the easiest, most common thing to do is to complain and gripe and gossip, or maybe to waste time and to contribute as little as possible. Just show up and do what you've got to do to collect the paycheck. But you see, what Peter is saying is that your workplace is one of your primary mission fields. God has placed you there, and in it, you have all kinds of opportunities to show respect for others and to treat others with humility and kindness. So there are all kinds of relational opportunities. But also, as people who have, who have hope in a God who loves this world and who promises one day to make all things new, you know, we ought to do our jobs really well. It's not okay for us to do as little as we can to get the job done. God created work and God has called us to do work. And so we need to do our work to the very best of our ability, ultimately, because we're hopeful about this world. We're hopeful about God healing it and redeeming it. And we see our work as one of the little ways God is doing this. And so Peter calls us to embrace our work life as a mission. Well, here's the third arena. Um, Everyday mission happens in our home life. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, Peter addresses wives and husbands. And on the surface, this all looks very outdated, very oppressive. And we need to try to hear this though, as the original audience would have heard it. Peter is modeling this section of his letter after what was called a household code, which was very common at that time. It was basically a set of rules meant to guide relationships within a home. And and we find these in literature outside the Bible in that time. It was basically a set of rules um, that that said, "Here's, here's how relationships ought to be ordered within a home. And there were These were common in the ancient world, but Peter's is so unusual, first of all, because he begins by addressing women, which was unheard of at that time. Secular household codes would only address men because women weren't viewed to be free agents in the way that men were. I mean, a a woman was just expected to take on her husband's religion as her own. There was not even the possibility considered that she might have her own religion. But here, Peter not only addresses women, but he treats them as responsible human beings who have this real freedom, who can play a significant role in leading their unbelieving husbands to faith in Christ. 
And so, and so there's actually something really subversive happening here. Peter is asking these women to submit to their husbands and to respect their husbands, but it's this powerful submission that can actually transform their husbands and transform the, the life of the home. He's calling women to be ambassadors of hope in their own homes. And then Peter's word to husbands is to honor their wives and to live with them in an understanding way and to remember that socially and physically, women were often in a place of extreme vulnerability. That's what the language of weaker vessel is about here. And see, this also was very countercultural. See, there's no room here for oppression and domination. Women are to be honored as co-heirs of the grace of God. In other words, in Christ, men and women are on absolutely equal footing, both inheriting all the blessings of the gospel. And this kind of equality was just unheard of in the ancient world. And so there's a call here for wives and husbands to live out the hope of the gospel in their homes by being faithful to one another, by treating each other with kindness and respect. A couple who loves each other well is a powerful witness to the hope of the gospel. And so here's another area for our attention. Many of us live with other people, and we need to ask if the quality of our relationships in the home show forth the beauty of the gospel. Would people observing our home lives see that there is something really different about the way we love and respect each other? So those are three areas where Peter calls us to mission in everyday life, in our neighborhoods and city, in our public life, uh, in our places of work, and then in our homes. Wherever you are, home, work, school, live in such a way that people will want to ask you about the hope that is in you. And when they do, be ready to give a reason for it. How do we take up our role in the mission of God? Well, here's how Peter envisions it. We live really good lives wherever we are. Eventually, this provokes curiosity. People want to know about the hope we have within us. Why in the world are you living like this? Why are you so kind to the people who hate you? Why do you work so hard when you're getting paid the same as the guy over there playing Tetris in his cubicle? I've never heard a parent ask for his kid's forgiveness. What's that about? See, that's Peter's strategy. He's not asking us to fill our lives with churchy stuff. He's calling us to live lives that can only be explained by the gospel. Live in such a way that people come to you wondering about what makes you so hopeful and then be ready to tell them about Jesus. You know, that last part is key. The only way for us to live as people who have hope is for us to be people who have hope. All of what Peter says here about mission in ordinary life assumes that we are people who have been changed by the gospel. It assumes that we really believe that Jesus is hope for our lives and for the life of the world. Do you have that hope? Do you have a hope in the gospel that is strong even when your circumstances stink? Do you have a hope that is strong even in your suffering? Do you have a hope worth sharing? Do you have a hope that is actually changing you? Or maybe this has just been a kind of depressing sermon for you because you realize that even though you say you believe in Jesus in all kinds of ways, big and small, you failed to live out the hope of the gospel in your everyday life. Maybe no one has ever asked you about the hope you have, and it's because your life hasn't given them any reason to. It's like, even after you've walked with Jesus for so long, the way you live 
sometimes denies the hope you have in Jesus. Maybe you deny him again and again. Well, remember who's writing this letter. Peter. Peter, the rock. Peter, the rock who denied Jesus. You remember that story? Peter denied Jesus again and again. But he's the one who writes this about Jesus. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter knew what it was like to deny Jesus and to fail Jesus, but he also knew what it was like to be healed by the forgiving love of Jesus. After the resurrection, remember Jesus sought Peter out and forgave him and called him again to follow him. See, Peter knew experientially what it was like to stray from the good shepherd and to have the shepherd seek him out and restore him to the flock. Peter knew that the hope of the gospel first meant hope for someone like him. Maybe you've denied Jesus in your public life or in your workplace or in your home or all three. I have two. But look, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for people like you and me. If we're going to be people who display the hope of the gospel, we need to be people who experience the hope of the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In Jesus' name. Amen.